Welcome to the Mindfulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Zwana. Let's get into it. This week, I am joined by the beautiful, funny, intelligent Anna Cruz. If you don't know her, you may have seen her on reality TV without even realizing it. Otherwise, she is an influencer in and around the Montreal area and has been doing amazing things as a talent agent representing some of North America's top tier talents. So my conversation with Anna was really like I was just like sitting, chilling, talking with a friend. You'll see like the first five minutes, we're just talking about random things on reality TV. So if you're not interested in reality TV, skip that section, I guess. But we do talk about her experience on seasons one and two of Bachelor in Paradise Canada, the behind the scenes there, what it's like in terms of production, having a producer, um, how she felt, uh, whether or not she felt taken advantage of in certain instances, things like that. So we really do get into the nitty gritty of it all. It was really cool for me to learn about that stuff because I've always been curious and never really knew anyone who I could ask about the behind the scenes of what it's like to film a reality TV show. So it was it was really fun to talk about that. But of course, um, that's only part of the equation. Being a talent representation agent, she obviously has her hands full and a breadth of knowledge when it comes to what brands are looking for from influencers and collaborators, whether it's in the content creation portal portion or the actual talent themselves. So we talk about that. We talk about um, different pricing strategies, which was new to me too. There were certain elements there that I didn't really know much about. So if ever you're curious about like what people are charging for content and what that looks like long-term versus short-term, we get into it, all of it. So many things, so many things. I hope you guys enjoy this episode That's all I got to say. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Nomad Creative. Visit nomadcreative.com for all of your marketing, branding, and social media needs. But I've been following your journey, whether you know it or not, now you do. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I even watched you on like Bachelor in Paradise and stuff. So for me, I've always been a Bachelor fan. So I've watched all the US stuff. Um, and I just thought it was like such a cool opportunity to be able to like talk to you about the behind the scenes of all that, because like being in the creative industry, I've been on sets of like photo shoots, video shoots, but I've never been in like a reality TV production. And I'm a little bit of a reality junkie. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Like I like Vanderpump rules. I watch like the housewives. I do. Oh my God. I can't wait for the next season. No, I, I watch, I watch literally everything you name it. My favorite. I don't know if you've watched temptation Island. No, I haven't. Oh, you have to watch Temptation Island. See, is it kind of like a game dating show though? No. So that one, I would say this one is just, it, it's the most fucked up out of all of them because basically like the whole that. premise, I know I'm going to try to make this short and sweet, but the whole premise is that you go in with your partner, you guys get separated. There's a guy's villa, there's a girl's villa. There's temptation like at the girl's villa, guys mm-hmm. enter, you know, and vice versa. But every couple of days, the girls go to a bonfire and they see what their significant other is doing with other girls and vice versa. Do they versa. know or are they like secretly watching? No. So what do you mean do they know? 
because do they know that they're the other people are like watching? Oh them yeah, like yeah, 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 okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Like they they fully know because the guys are doing it too, right? Like the guys go to a bonfire and okay. then they get to see the girls doing whatever it is that they're doing, and then at the end of the show, you have like the final bonfire and you meet your couple for the first time. I think it's filmed in like thirty days. It's a month, mm-hmm. and you get to decide whether or not you're gonna go home with your couple you're gonna go home alone or you're gonna go home with someone new is this so have you watched like bachelor in paradise us yeah assuming like you did your homework before going on the show (laughs) um so i think in was it the last season or maybe the one before where they kind of took the main girls out and put them in like a separate kind of hotel and they were off of the main resort and then they brought in new people i think people were referring to that as like this whole like kind of copying temptation island but i didn't really understand it at the time but it's kind of similar in concept right yeah, like Love Island too. They have Casa Moore, which is it's the same That's concept, right? They, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, 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 okay. But like they pull the guys out, the, the girls out, and then they like introduce a bunch of tempting singles. But it's crazy. This show, like, you have couples who have been together for ten years, and you gotta wonder why are you going on the show? Oh my god, I didn't <laughs> realize it was like that. No, it's it's. I'm telling you. Okay, I'm is, putting it on the it list. Take it from someone who has literally watched every single reality TV show. It's the best one. Like you okay. and my boyfriend and Say I Say no more. It, so yeah. <laughs> oh God. I have to try and get my husband into that. I literally, so honestly, I'm not a big fan of Too Hot to Handle, but it's You know what? Yeah, there. that one I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. Mm-mm. Yeah, not super obsessed, but for whatever reason, Ryan, my husband like liked it and he doesn't watch anything. So I was like, well, I mean, if he's going to watch well, it with me, I'll just sit it, yeah. through it. <laughs> but anyways, that's kind of the only thing I can get him into. And he does watch The Bachelor. That's what happened when we moved out from our parents. I was like, I don't have my mom and my sister to watch anymore. So I watched eight so seasons of Game of me. Thrones. Yeah, I had to watch eight seasons of Game of Thrones to basically commit for him to watch Bachelor with me for the rest of our lives. <laughs> you know what? I, I do understand him because I loved Game of Thrones thrones i've watched it twice. it was now. good it was good i paused yeah. every 30 seconds with questions but it was good <laughs> it's you know it's such an intense show because there's so many characters and there's so much like development yes. and so many different storylines like it is i mm-hmm. will say it is very hard to sort of keep track of what what the storyline is because there's so many different yeah. storylines that's it he basically watched it a second time with me so he was my you know <laughs> the person who told me everything that was going on anyways okay we're we could probably just like talk like this forever let's give the people what they want <laughs> if you don't like reality tv skip to like the first five minutes the first of this podcast 10 minutes of this, yeah. <laughs> um okay so anna i feel like most people know you as like an influencer online and what they don't know is that behind the scenes you're actually making money doing other things um so you're a talent agent you're supporting north america's top tier talent you're working for is it dulcetto or dolcetto see i i i wanna (laughs) yeah i'm like i don't even know i'm like how do i i want to give you like a diplomatic answer so i i think it's dulcetto but and i thought for a long time it was but like if you were to ask some of the agents at our company, they might also say Dolcetto, Dolcetto. Like no one really knows what it's called, but I, mm-hmm. I'm like 99.9% sure that it's Dolcetto. And if my boss ever hears this C- podcast, he's going <laughs> to, he's going to cry. Yeah. We're going to have a mid-year review. Everyone, <laughs> yeah. this is the name of our company, but no, it's because with that letter in particular, like whether it's like Spanish or, um, 
what is it? Spanish or Italian? That's where like yeah. is different. So I don't know. Anyways, so whatever. Besides the point, <laughs> you're a talent agent. And I wanted to know, you know, we're going to get into all the Bachelor in Paradise stuff because I'm sure people are super curious to get into that. But, you know, you've been building brands, not only your own brand, other people's brands and supporting them in that. So I definitely want to get into that. But could you give us a better understanding of like, just like high level, what your role is and the type of I guess, people you're representing? Because is it just influencers? Are they models? Are they actors? You know, I'm curious. Yeah. So basically at, at Dolcetto, we, we are, we were, we started off as a modeling agency first and foremost. We've been around for like mm-hmm. 15 years. And then as the world of influencer marketing started like sort of emerging, that's when we thought, okay, we need an influencer division. So right now we have influencer marketing. We have a sports and entertainment division. So we also represent athletes. Um, we have an e-gaming division, which is, just wild to think about like people get paid to play video games (laughs) like that's just crazy to me and then we have the influencer division so I'm primarily representing beauty influencers so I do a bit of both I do beauty and lifestyle um but really the like my bread and butter um are beauty influencers and uh basically the whole I guess premise of my job is to connect influencers so connect my own roster of influencers to other brands and just handle their collaborations, partnerships, securing sponsorships, and so on. So how does that like work from the beginning? Are you looking for them kind of like a recruiter or are they coming to you and then you're assigned certain people based on the category? Um, I'm curious to know how that like initial introduction happens and then what the process looks like from the first, hi, my name is Anna, to here's your first brand deal. Yeah. So when I first started at the company, I mean, like you're responsible to, to build up your own roster. So when I first started at Dolcetto, they gave me a few creators that they already had, like kind of not on reserve, but that they were already working with. I just didn't have an agent at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And then from there on, I started building my roster. So right now I'm at eight influencers, but I would say like 80% of those influencers I've had to go out and secure by myself. And it's really just you know, a lot of research because everyone's represented, right? Like there's a lot of influencers out there. It's not like Mm -hmm. it was 10 years ago, right? Where, you know, we were just starting to see influencers. Even then, I feel like it wasn't even that long ago. Um, So everyone is represented. So it's a lot of, you know, figuring out, okay, what kind of talent do I want to represent? At the beginning of my time with Dolcetto, I was only representing um, fitness athletes. So that's what I thought I want. Yeah, super... Like I work out and stuff and I have a passion for that, but, but, but really at that time, that's, that's the kind of influencer that I believed I wanted to be representing. Not that there's anything wrong with them. Like I love fitness influencers, but you know, you got to go where the money is. And the, the problem with fitness influencers is that oftentimes a lot of them are already signed to exclusive contracts with fitness apparel companies to supplement companies. So at the end of the day, like it's hard to to get them other deals, right? Because of mm. that exclusivity that they have. So money-wise, it's it's very, it's not impossible, but it is just very hard to make money with with fitness influencers. So I sort of pivoted and mm. um and I decided to to go after beauty influencers. There's a lot of money to be made in the beauty world and the beauty industry. Um so I just followed the the money, I guess, and I started, you know, looking for the right talent. So I guess every every agent has their own sort of checklist that they're looking at before wanting to sign on a talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, primarily North America in the U.S., I have one Canadian talent. The rest of my roster is strictly based in the U.S. 
I'm looking for talents who speak in front of the camera, right? Because I want the talent that I represent to be relatable. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of influencers that are, are very good at what they do but you can't relate to them. You know, like if you, you, I'm sure you've seen, you know, that influencer that you're like, wow, they're so beautiful, Mm -hmm. but like we have nothing in common. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's just so unattainable. So I'm looking for the opposite because they're marketable and brands like that. So, but you're saying relatable, but there's also, I feel like a point of authenticity that you want to look for. So like, cause I feel like almost like relatable has been so overused these days where it's like everyone can be freaking relatable. It's like you're almost trying to be relatable. Yeah. And what actually differentiates and then you're not you. Relatable. <laughs> exactly. It's like what actually differentiates you is like the unique parts, right? So is that really what you're looking for when you're like watching their videos and how they speak and how they interact? Because anyone can put up a facade mm-hmm. and say all the right things and appear to be relatable. But like, what is it that you see? Cause you must have this like extra special eye to be able to see through the bullshit, you know, and see through the people who are actually very authentic. Cause I feel like that authenticity is really what drives yeah. it more than anything. No. Yeah. You know, you know what it is? It's I'm looking for, and I, and I always say this, you know, the best types of talents are the ones that are able to connect with their community. Right. So, okay. Take aside, mm. you know, wanting to be relatable, being authentic. Of course you want that. That's just a good yeah, characteristic a to have. Yeah, given. Mm-hmm. But you want to take a look at the audience that that influencer has built up, right? Like, are they engaging with their audience? Do they answer to comments? Do they, again, then the reason why I keep saying, do they speak directly in front of the camera? Because that when you're speaking to a camera, when you're, you're speaking directly to your followers, you're speaking to your audience, from that point on, you're building your audience, And at the end of the day, if you build an audience that's loyal, that people want to follow, you know, people are asking you, where where did you get that shirt? Where did you get those earrings? At the end of the day, that turns into dollars, right? And brands want to work with creators who can convert, right? Again, there's a lot of influencers that have millions and millions and millions of followers. I've seen it firsthand, cannot sell one shirt. And that's that's the problem. That's the difference between, I always say there's a difference between an influencer and a creator because there's a lot Mm -hmm. of influencers that can't create and there's a lot of creators that can't influence right so you want to find a good mix of both Mm -hmm. I feel like there's more of a separation now too because before I feel like they were a little bit more like intertwined and combined whereas now you don't necessarily need to have followers to be a content creator you just need to have that creativity and whether it's your face or you're just you know creating it with video photographic content you could be a photographer videographer editor and just know how to you know tell a story through visuals and still be in that same field so there's that separation now whereas influencer is more so the person selling the product or whatever it may be. So for when you're, when you're signing your talent and you have these brand deals come up, how do you make sure that number one, what they're selling aligns with their brand? And number two, they're not like overselling too much on their account because you obviously want to make money. You want to get them as many deals as possible, but there's a fine line between like going overboard and it coming off as like, Hey, I'm just here to sell and make money versus Mm -hmm. I really do believe in this. And I think you should get it. Yeah. I would say that's, that's a case by case basis also, because I, I, there's, I, I, some of the talents that I represent, they will not work with certain brands just because they don't believe like a lot of the talents that I represent won't work with Fashion Nova. They don't like fast fashion. They won't work with Shein. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. it doesn't matter how much money these companies will pay them. 
like I've had talents turn down $30,000 opportunities because they're like, no, it, it does not fit with like what I believe in. This goes against mm-hmm. everything that I believe in. So in that sense, like, I feel like it really depends on the, on the talent themselves, but it's also a conversation that we have at the very beginning when we sign, when we're onboarding talents, right? Like we, we have different welcome units and in those welcome units, we talk about, okay, what brands do you want to work with? What brands don't you want to work with? And so on. And it also depends mm-hmm. on the brief that we get from the brand, right? Because sometimes brands will give us briefs and then we share that with the client, with the talent. And a lot of the times, like brands will always say, and this is what I find really funny. Brands will always say, you know what? We love influencers. We love your creativity. But here's a brief and here's everything that you need to say. And it's Copy like- paste. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there, there's like, we can't color outside the lines. You know what I mean? So it's like- you're coming to an influencer and you're telling them, hey, we love the work that you're doing. We trust the work that you're doing. But here's the brief and here's a script of everything that you have to say. And sometimes right. when the influencer reads that script, they're like, well, this doesn't sound like me at all. So that's where that's where it becomes tricky, right? Because you're and me, especially as a talent agent, I'm I have to find a way to 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 satisfy the the creator, but then to also satisfy the client as well. Do you feel like the brands are ever flexible or they're really just saying this is what it needs to be because they need to have that, that creative control? Cause they're, I mean, so much of their marketing nowadays is influencer marketing and obviously like they are a business, they want to make sure they're controlling their messaging. But like you said, it kind of takes away from that, I guess, like individualistic approach mm-hmm. as you know, they're basically scripting everything. And then everyone says the same thing, right? So if you're following influencers with like similar, I guess, um, what's it called? Like they're doing similar things or in 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 the similar similar industry. And then you see, yeah, that's it. And then they're saying the same thing. You're like, well, wait, then this is not authentic. And then it's like the same problem you could kind of see through it. So like are brands flexible at all? Or are you saying it's like, no, they really need to have that control? No, there's definitely, there's definitely some flexibility, you know, not every brand is the same, right? Depending yeah. on how big the brand is too, I feel like that's when you start seeing mm-hmm. a lot of not micromanaging. I don't want to say that, but a lot of just very specific briefs. Like I had a brief that yeah. was twelve pages long, and me as a talent, what? <laughs> yeah, twelve pages long. And like now, keep in mind that I am the talent agent. I'm not even the creator that's being paid to do this. Mm-hmm. And as an agent, obviously, I'm I'm reviewing the brief before I send it off to to my creator. When I tell you that I was sifting through this brief and I was thinking to myself, I like I know I know my creator's not going to read all this. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even want to read all of it, you know. Yeah. So, and then you expect <laughs> every single creator that you're working with to read this essay that you wrote about the product that you're trying to promote. And then you're, you know, you're taken aback when the creator sends in content. And yeah, there's, there's going to be some, some mistakes. There's going to be some things that maybe they didn't follow in the brief because the brief was 12 pages long. 12 pages. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Oh but, God, but there, 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 there are very, there, there's some talent, not talents. There's some companies that are very easy to work with. Very, yeah. very easy to work with. Um, and then there's companies that, you know, are just a little bit difficult to work with. And do you feel like they're like you sign less with those clients because people just like push back because of the rigidity of it, of it all of the relationship? No, I don't. You know what? I've I've never I haven't had a problem where you know my my creators didn't want to do something because of the brief. I I've definitely mm-hmm. I've worked on. I just recently worked on a campaign where we had 
probably seven rounds of revisions. And keep in mind, like we signed contracts, right? So everything is outlined in the contract, including the the amount of revisions that you get, right? Obviously, there's some flexibility. Usually it's like two. Yeah, exactly. Usually it's two. There is some flexibility, right? Like if a client wants Mm -hmm. a revision in the the copy, then yeah, that's fine. That's an easy Mm -hmm. fix. We went through seven rounds of revisions. Takes two seconds. But it was it was so intense. There was so much back and forth. There was just like a lack of clarity. And I think what happens too is that sometimes we're not working directly with the brand. We're working through an agency that's representing mm-hmm. the brand, right? So now I'm just like painting a picture of the communication. You're going from the influencer to the project manager because I work with a project manager who executes all of the campaigns. So mm-hmm. the, I just signed the contracts and then I'm on to the next, right? I'm trying to find new opportunities. So my project manager steps in and she's the one that's dealing with all of the campaigns. So we're going from influencer, project manager, agent, because I'm copied in every single email to the agency, agency to brand, right? So there's a lot of miscommunication that sometimes happens. And then, you know, we're left with seven rounds of revisions later. So that's, but that was only, that was a very specific case because all of the other Mm -hmm. brands that I've worked with have been relatively easy to work with. So out of curiosity, because with what I do and I'm branding for companies, not for influencers, right? Um, And we too have sets of revisions and it's normal and typically it's two. And if we go past the second set of revisions, unless it's like a super minor tweak that we can make an exception for that might take us a couple of minutes to to complete, then it goes out of scope and we basically charge for our time for anything that goes above and beyond. Because what happens is like you're quoting for your time Mm -hmm. and you're taking into consideration that it's going to be including two revisions. So when it goes to that seven like do you guys have, have anything in your clause or do you kind of just like suck it up like there you got to get compensated for that to a degree no unless it's completely your fault and you butchered it but I mean for sure it's hard to do you know what sometimes we'll we'll always push back on on contracts right at the end of yeah. the day though you really are at the mercy of the company like I on the creator mm-hmm. side have worked with brands the payment terms were net 90 takes, like, so it takes them three months to pay yeah you? And I obviously I push and I'm talking about me as a creator myself. I yeah. push back and they're like, no, it's net 90 or like we're we're not moving forward, which right. I find so I, I don't know. It's just like that's that's just their policy. So you really are at the mercy of the company. So in our contracts, of course, we're going to push back. We're always going to you know, there's going to be a clause that says if it goes past two revisions, we have to be compensated for that. Mm-hmm. I would say 95% of the time, the client pushbacks and they're like, no, it's it's going to be, you know, two revisions, but, you know, there's a possibility where we might require more. And then they always say, but don't worry, it never goes past two yeah. revisions. <laughs> and you know what? It, it, ne- it actually never does, except for this one time where, one time, you know, yeah. we had seven rounds of revisions. What I will Got say it. too, though, is that in the world of influencer marketing, like you're doing branding for businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like with your your skill set is more in demand. So you have more flexibility to really negotiate your contract. Whereas for an influencer, everyone and their mom is an influencer. Yeah. So if you are pushing back on certain things, certain clauses that you don't like in the contract, they're going to say, no worries. Thank you, next. We'll find someone else. Yeah, because they will find someone else, right? As much as a brand wants to tell you, we absolutely adore you. We absolutely love you. We absolutely want to work with you. They're going to find someone else that does it for cheaper. Makes sense. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. It does make a lot of sense. It's just when you're representing 
I, I'm a business, right? Versus mm-hmm. an individual. Exactly. It's a lot harder to find a business that can completely like execute something from A to Z. And it's also not if they're bigger contracts, you know, it's not that I'm just, uh, you know, putting a couple of videos together and sometimes working for with these people for months at a time, yeah. sometimes over a year. Um, but it's also dependent on the scope too. So I'm sure that some of the contracts too, like, do you have any agreements with your talent that are long-term or are they mostly all short-term? So I do a lot of short-term contracts, but I've also signed, uh, like six months, six months would be my, the, the longest contract that I've signed. And I have a couple of those. Makes sense. And how does it work for like the pricing? in terms of content creation does do they look at the metrics of the influencer how big they are their engagement all of that is there something like specific that they look at or is it kind of like an overall assessment you know what i always say like influencer is the wild wild west because it really is <laughs> yeah and i love that i love that saying because there's no there's no influencer manual sure you're going to go on google mm-hmm. and you're going to type in if you're a new creator influencer you might type in how much should I be charging per post and you might get a couple of articles Mm -hmm. that tell you well if you have x amount of followers you could be charging this xyz but the reality is that every influencer is charging whatever it is that they feel like charging right and what sometimes happens too is that you know you'll have one influencer that by the grace of god made a lot of money on one collab and now they think that moving forward, this that's is the amount that that's what they're worth, right? Yeah. And, you know, I always say like, you're, you're worth as much as someone wants to pay you. So if you got, you know, 10K on a collaboration yeah. and you have 10,000 followers, that is amazing. Like, good for you. Make your money. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm honestly kind of jealous, but the reality, <laughs> the reality is, is that that's not your going rate, right? So On our end, we, and again, this happens during like the onboarding calls that I, that I had mentioned that we do with our talents. So I always ask the talents, okay, what are you charging right now? Like, tell me your rates. And I want to know the background. Like, I want to know the history of these rates. How often are you getting these rates? Is it, was it a one-off collaboration? Was it the highest you've ever been, you know, like, I need to know that information. And then from there on, I also take a look at what brands and what agencies are paying for the specific number of followers that you have but not only the followers, but also the engagement, right? Mm -hmm. I've represented talents with millions of followers that were getting awful views. Like Mm -hmm. I was getting at me as someone who has 22,000 followers on Instagram, I was getting more views than someone that had 3 million followers, right? So yeah. So that's where like, it's not just about followers, right? But it's not Mm -hmm. just one component. You got to look at an umbrella of different components and then you're able to to narrow down on on a set price. Yeah, for sure. No, I've actually seen that firsthand in building out the uh, Instagram page for this podcast. I have my business account, I have my personal account, and I can just see how they fluctuate. My business account technically has the most followers, but the lowest engagement. And the account with the lo- least amount of followers has the highest engagement. Also because I'm posting regularly, more consistently, yeah. I'm sharing, doing a lot of collaborations, things like that. So it's like, there's, there are so many elements to consider. I, I just like, yeah, it's crazy. Like I've even thought to myself, like, what would I charge? Like I have other friends that, that are influencers and this and that. And I ask them what their rates are. And like you said, it's the freaking wild west. <laughs> like, no, because no one knows what to consistent. charge. Yeah, exactly. Tough, I, yeah. I've always said though, you know, I, as an influencer myself, like I, I don't want to have, I don't want to ever be an influencer that has a million followers or a million subscribers because 
what often happens too is that you get to a point where you're you're too expensive for mm-hmm. brands to work with you, right? So the volume of collaborations is significantly lower. It's hard for a company to pay you $30,000 for one post. Yeah, unless you're nice. Kim Kardashian, unless you're, you know, Kylie Jenner, but that's mm-hmm. the reality. I have some some of my, you know, money makers, the talents that make the most money that are on my roster are the ones with the least number of followers, which is crazy to think about. Because that's that's a big thing now. It's like the micro-influencers. That's what yeah, companies are reaching so out money. to because of the authenticity of their followers too. Because if you think of like when people blew up, it was many years ago now when everyone started hitting like the million marks and all of that. And they've all started to kind of like fizzle and plateau. And those million followers, like I... I only see a few accounts on my social and I follow like 1500, you know? So it's like to think that every single one of those million, especially with the way that they've adjusted the algorithm, it's like, you're not necessarily seeing all of those people that like all of your followers aren't necessarily seeing your shit anymore. Right. You're being pushed so many things with like the, the search page, discover page, whatever the fuck it's called these days. I don't even know. (laughs) I can't keep up. (laughs) There's just so many updates. We don't know. Yeah. You know, you know, though, like a, a really good metric for that too. And it's something that I see a lot of, a lot of brands, a lot of agencies asking too, is looking at the number, looking at the reach. Oh, mm-hmm. two seconds. Sorry. <laughs> looking at the, looking at the reach of, of someone's, of someone's account for a span of maybe seven days, 14 days, 30 days, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's when you're really going to see the influence that a creator has, yeah. right? Because if you have 2 million followers, but you're only reaching, your content is only reaching 5,000 people, there is a problem. Because yeah. why would I go pay you what you charge as a creator that has 2 million followers when I could be paying someone that has 10,000 followers and reaches all 10,000 people in her community, in their community, a much lower rate. Like what, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That's where it's like, it doesn't make sense. So reach is such a, is such a good metric to, to use. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm, I'm seeing that, like I said on, for example, the mindful printer podcast to give people like numbers and something to, to just like visualize. I think we have maybe 150 Follower, like literally 150, not 150,000, 150. Like I just started. Yeah. I just started this podcast. Like I'm, I'm not promoting it. All I'm doing is like interviewing, connecting with people, collaborating on posts. Currently right now it's reaching 26,000 people per month. And that's, that's because I'm doing a good job at building these relationships with people, sharing content that people are curious to learn about. Like I started off doing it for myself more than anything, but turns out people are also interested. It resonated with people. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Whereas on my personal account, I think I have like just over a thousand and I reached like 3000 regularly. And then my business account, we have about 9,000 and maybe, maybe reach a thousand. So like, it just goes to show like what you're putting out also when it's a business and a company, like, yeah, are less likely that's to engage exactly what really I was going to say. Well, that, yeah, yeah exactly. You, I mean, I don't, I haven't checked out like your, your, your business, like your branding business page, mm-hmm. but I would say too, to, to that point. And again, like you could tell me if I'm wrong, but with your personal account and your, you know, your podcast account too, like you're, you're showing your face, you're showing people, right. Yeah. There's, there's a face. Mm-hmm associated to the account. It's, totally. It has an element of, of, of human to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't, I, I have not seen your, your other account, so I have no idea. If no, you I mean, your you're face. right. You're right. I've started cross posting some of the stuff from the mindful printer podcast onto nomad creatives page, but for the longest time, I first of all neglected it for years. Like it wasn't a priority for my business. Um, but this past year, I actually like finally started to treat my business more like a client <laughs> and my team, like I'm paying my team to also do nomad socials. So we're starting to post more regularly, cross posting other stuff from the podcast. So my face is showing up more so, but just like generally, like you said, like a personality, a big thing that we sell with branding, it's like your brand is like a person, mm-hmm. right? You're developing the brand personality, the voice, the tone, all of that in conjunction with obviously your identity. So that goes with like your logo, your colors, your fonts, all of that stuff. So it's, there's a lot of parallels in branding a person and a brand. Um, But like you said, it's kind of that human element that surfaces that people resonate more when you're the face. Yeah. I feel like I like Mm -hmm. really that, that would be what differentiates a brand and a business, right? Or a personal brand and then a a business brand. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's brands that are killing it because they've been able to sort of tap into that. And I guess you could say too, that was, you know, that's why we have influencer marketing to begin with, because brands Mm -hmm. started realizing, hey, you know what? A person sells more than a brand does, right? Because Mm -hmm. people will listen to a person. People are influential. Brands are not that influential. Some brands, again, are killing it and they're doing great, but for the most part, people are influential, right? You want to listen to a person that you trust. So if you're following an influencer who you adore, you love her, mm-hmm. whatever she shows on her Instagram, you're going to want to buy because you're so you're so invested, right? Like You really mm-hmm. have a, a strong affinity to that influencer. Whereas brands, before the world of influencer marketing, they, they were kind of at a point where like, okay, like, the like like ads without people's faces in them it's it's no longer working like traditional media is no longer working we got to pivot and then you know the world of influencer marketing emerged you know what i'm this is even making me think of so years ago commercials even they were just random actors random people then they started plugging in celebrities right and then i think we got to a point where celebrities were just so like out of reach and like unattainable that they they were a little less i guess if we're using the word relatable then they started bringing in people like tv personalities i've recently seen going back to bachelor actually perfect circle mm-hmm. um so on the bachelor franchise there's a couple that got engaged off of bachelor in paradise and now they're in a collaboration with maybelline and after you know if you if you have cable or whatever pvr and the commercial right after or right before the episode starts is like a clip of them. And it's basically a Maybelline commercial, but with two people who are reality stars on the bachelor or bachelor in paradise. So like the way that the brand is utilizing that, it makes so much sense. I've seen their stuff on social media, but for them to then bring it onto television and then connect it like right before and after the show, I'm like, wow, that's freaking brilliant. Like they're bringing in those faces and people that like other people follow yeah. and having them sell their shit. You know what? It's, it, it kind it's of makes you think about like, what, what are we going to do after influencer marketing? Right. Cause you said it yourself. We went mm-hmm. from, we were, you know, we had like random people and then you had celebrities and then we went from celebrities. Mm-hmm. They were no longer relatable. Right. To mm-hmm. influencers or known personalities, I guess on social media, sure. but like what comes yeah. next. Right. Because we're at a point where, 
we've okay, we've hit we've perfected influencer marketing. You know, we're working with all these influencers, but what's next? Like eventually, you know, is it gonna plateau? Are brands gonna keep wanting to invest in influencer marketing? Are influencers gonna be as influential as they are right now? Mm-hmm. Well, we're already seeing a shift, right? Just even in like the effectiveness of certain types of influencers. So like, listen, I mean, the world is ever evolving. I wouldn't be surprised if shit changed. Like, actually, I would be surprised if it didn't. And also, who knows, like, maybe it's going to be some AI that's doing everything yeah. for us. And we can just like chill in our backyards and make money. That would be nice. I was about to say, I was going to talk about AI, but I'm like, maybe it's all the podcast for that. But Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I use AI for all kinds of things. Yeah, I I use AI for all kinds of things. It's super, super helpful. Like I have an AI that jumps on my calls to like take notes and record. So it's kind of just like insurance um, on my calls. I've been using an AI to most recently to generate um, show notes for the podcast. The first few episodes I was doing it myself and then I started getting annoyed and I'm like, for sure this exists in AI because like everything does. It's definitely a simpler way. Um, Yeah. And then even when like I'm putting together a strategy of sorts or, you know, I was just recently reworking my pitch deck and wanting to kind of highlight why paid social media is kind of important and worth it. And I just, just to get me started, I typed it into chat GPT, it generated some responses and I was like, perfect. Like, let me use this and summarize it in a way because it's not that it's like invalid. It's, it's what it's sharing makes sense. I'm there to read it and approve and make sure of it. You know, I'm not like bullshitting. It's like, it's still what I'm practicing. You're not just to copy have that pasting. tool to help you. Yeah, exactly. To have that tool to just like help you kind of get a head start instead of something that you would have otherwise had to go do research, click a bunch of articles, cross reference. I'm like, maybe I trust AI too much, but no, you know what? I Listen, like what I see. <laughs> I'm a big believer in like it's probably one of my favorite quotes, but actually I don't it's not a quote, but it's just a saying like time time is okay. money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you you know, you're going to spend 3 hours, let's say 3, 4 hours, five, whatever it is, working on a pitch deck and you can cut your time in half by simply inputting all of this information on ChatGPT, whatever AI bot you mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. and get better results like it's just it's it's silly why you wouldn't do that right I use chat GPT for to send out certain emails sometimes when I have to go in and like get a little bit you know stern and have to lay down the the law I feel like I use chat GPT because sometimes I, I draft up an entire email and I wanted to make it sound nicer because sometimes yes. my tone you, you don't know you don't know when you're sending texts when you're mm-hmm. sending emails sometimes you know, I might come off as dry. And I think like you meet me in person. I mean, we're, we're having this podcast now. I don't think you'd ever be like, oh yeah, like Anna is really serious because I'm, I'm not. But yeah, my, my fear is always like, you know, if I'm sending a very serious email, I don't want to sound bitchy. So I, mm-hmm. I go on chat GPT and it just like rewrites the email makes it look so professional and so much better. And then, yeah, then I take it, you know, like I change some words because there's yeah. words that I would never use in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but but it's amazing and it just it cuts mm-hmm. that time in half right so if i can spend less time writing out lengthy emails and then go straight into getting more money for my for my creators then why wouldn't i do that being choppy for a second i like lost you for a hot second am i back anyways. yeah we're back okay we're back, we're back people <laughs> Thanks to this wonderful technological software, no one will <laughs> notice we had issues. <laughs> um, okay, 
so I kind of want to jump back like enough with AI. AI is cool. If you're not on the bandwagon, get on the bandwagon because you're falling behind. Like it's yeah. Okay. If you think it's going to take over the world, like, I don't know. It probably is, but like, get over it. You got to embrace it. (laughs) Get on board. Yeah. You got to, you got to embrace it. Get on board. Be a part of taking over the world. How about that? Exactly. (laughs) Work with it. If you you can't beat them, if you can't beat them, join them. Join him. Join him, girl. (laughs) Okay. So with your personal brand, I want to talk a little bit about like how you've been differentiating yourself and then how that kind of led you into getting onto reality TV. Um, You've been, (laughs) how fun. Oh my God. Like, I feel like I could have dedicated this whole podcast to that, but that would have just been selfish. (laughs) I feel like people would have also been like, um this is called the mindful printer what is going on that's okay listen I can do what I want it's my it's company. true it's true <laughs> it's so true yeah but okay so you you're from Montreal you started off building a following and influence there <clears throat> I'm curious to know kind of like at the beginning how did that take off for you to get you to where you are now you have a significant influence and impact I've been a follower of yours for several years now and then watched you on your journey in um on Bachelor in Paradise season one and two which I saw you joke around how like you're like season two I actually got some airtime, <laughs> which you totally did um so start like bring me bring me to the beginning how how did you, you back, create you Anna, the <laughs> social media slash reality person? How did I create Not myself? That, I mean, it's yourself, but yeah. <laughs> How did you create yourself? Um, okay. I feel like I'm going to give you a very cliched response because, again, I've done, I've done quite a few of these and I've been on the other end where like I've interviewed other influencers too. And mm-hmm. I feel like everyone says the same thing. Everyone's always like, you know, I started off, it was, I, I fell into this career it was completely by accident. But for me, it was very much by accident. And I remember, you know, like X amount of years ago, back when I think Instagram had just launched, I was going through my own personal journey of wanting to, I I was, I wanted to compete in bodybuilding, which just sounds, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Interesting. I mean, I know. I know a few people who've done it, but I wouldn't have pegged you for the bodybuilding. Uh, th- yeah, no, like I to I now no, forget about it. Like I couldn't think of anything worse that I would want to do. <laughs> but back in the day, also when I was 18, like why is an 18 year old wanting to compete? Like that's the time where I should have been getting drunk, but I wanted to compete. <laughs> um, and so I started posting pictures on Instagram. I even had a fitness account that I don't even want to like talk about. But yeah, I had a fitness account. Okay. And that was around the time where where we were starting to see the first sort of couple of influencers, right? So I was doing a little bit of fitness stuff. I was like doing some fashion content. And then I I came across, I'm sure you know her, Amy Song from Song of Style. I don't know if you know her. Actually, no. I was going to say, pretend you do. <laughs> okay, I do. <laughs> we go way back. Um, so she she's a huge influence. I would say she was one of the very first creators that I ever saw. And she made such an impact on me from such a young age, from, you know, 18. Mm-hmm. And so I was noticing that she was getting a lot of traction and people were commenting and asking her questions. And again, she, at that time, she didn't even know she was influencing anyone. She was just, you know, posting stuff. And I was right. thinking, you know what? I, I started watching her YouTube videos too, her really low quality YouTube videos for anyone who's like hesitating on starting because you don't have the best equipment. It's okay. Like you've mm-hmm. got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there on, I, I started seeing that she was posting with brands and that they were paying her. 
And I thought to myself, you know what, I've, I've managed to build up an audience. I had, I think like 2000 followers at that time. I'm like, maybe that's something that I could do, you know? So she was definitely Mm -hmm. someone that I, I looked up to. And then from there on, I think like at the very beginning, it was, it was very easy for me to, to grow my audience, uh, like up until 10,000 followers, I think also because Instagram was so relatively new. Mm -hmm. But from there on, I I did a lot of outreach too. um, When I hit like the 3000 mark, um, and I was getting a lot of free stuff, and I was accepting everything and anything like, Mm-hmm. I don't like tea, but I was promoting tea. Like I would have promoted anything you gave me. Like I'm That's a big so coffee drink. Yeah, it's so not on brand for me. I don't like tea. <laughs> like I'll drink tea because I'm like, yeah, I have to be healthy, but like I don't like tea. Um, but I would have promoted anything and everything, right? And that's sort of how that happened. And then it just, you know, went from being gifted certain products to brands being like, okay, well, you know, we're going to offer you $50 for this. And at that time too, you're like $50 for a post. Whoa. Are you, are you sure about that? And then $50, <laughs> you know, went to a hundred dollars and a hundred dollars went to $500 and so on. But that's really how that happened. Right. It was the, I would say like the first two to 3000 followers were really purely like not by, I don't know, by accident, but like, it was just me posting stupidities about like my fitness journey and you know, my outfits and this and that. And then the more that I started like looking at other influencers and seeing that people were actually making careers out of this, that's when I sort of pivoted. And I was like, you know what? Like, I think this is something that I can do. Like I can Mm -hmm. post pretty pictures. I'm creative. I love that aspect of it as well. And so that's, that's what I started doing. And, and then the next day I went on Bachelor in Paradise. (laughs) that's too funny so talk to me a little bit about like your rate card because it's I mean we spoke a little bit about like how it's very difficult to price and it's a wild west but for you specifically because it depends on whether you know you're doing multiple posts if it's just a photo versus a video like what is kind of the standard today in terms of like ask from a brand like what what type of assets that they want from you and then maybe just like a range of like what they would pay I guess like minimum and maximum Mm -hmm. like I guess like maybe like your cheapest brand deal in the last year versus like the best one for example so I'm and I want to start off by saying that I you know like I depending on the brand that's talking to me that's sort of what I use to 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 gauge how much I want to charge them right because if it's a really big brand like let's say L'Oreal I know they have the budget to spend right so I I might upsell right I might be Mm -hmm. like oh well actually my rates are this much for mm-hmm. someone of my, you know, my, my caliber, I have 22,000 followers. I mentioned that um, I, I tend to charge anywhere from 1500 to 2000 for a video, right? But from there, I build out a package because you not only have to look at the deliverables, right? Whether it's a static image. I don't even think brands are paying for static images anymore. All I see are videos. It's video content. But, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are the deliverables, right? Is it a reel? Is it an image? Is it stories? Is it, is, is it a video that's syndicated to another platform? What's the length of the video too, right? Because that changes yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Me creating a 15 second video is significantly less time and effort than me creating a video that's maybe two minutes, right? So mm-hmm. you got to take that into consideration as well. And then come usage rights, right? So right. does a brand want to use your content organically? Does a brand want to put paid ads behind the content? Does a brand want to boost your content? Do they want to whitelist your content? So it's a bunch of different components that you have to take into consideration for you to land on the final, the final number that you're going to give to, to the brand. 
So I've heard about usage before too, and I'm like by zero means an influencer, <laughs> but I like to, I like to edit shit on my own personal account. Like I am creative. Like I, you know, I, I studied design and I know how to edit, but I really just do it for myself. Um, but I've recently had a lot of like accommodations kind of reach out and ask because I, I do it for, for myself. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, Oh, we really love this. Like, would you do it again? Na na na. And, um, I've been chatting with some people and they're like, yeah, like you can price your reel for like X amount, depending on like, if I'm, you know, recording it because they're giving me a free stay at a place or, you know, I have to basically go on a hike to like get the content, you know, like all of that takes, takes, you have to get taken into consideration. And then the usage rights they were mentioning to me, which like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around because like you said, like, how, how do you even price that? what if they put like a million dollars behind your post versus just like a thousand dollars? Like, does that matter? Like, how do you build yeah. out the usage rights? So that definitely matters. I would say 99% of the time when you ask, like when I, I send over a scope of work and I ask the, I ask the brand, Hey, can you please fill out the scope of work? It has questions on, you know, what kind of deliverables you want me to create? What's the timeline? What kind of usage rights are we talking about? How long do I have to keep the the image or the video up on my on my account and so on are there any mm-hmm. exclusivities as well because you got to charge for exclusivity but um once they build out the scope of work too then you look at okay like usage rights what is the length of usage that's very important do you want to use my content for 30 days do you want to use it for 60 days do you want to use it for six months 12 like what is it is it mm-hmm. evergreen like you just want to own all yeah. of the rights to my content that's going to be very expensive and most companies will not pay you for that because they don't have the budget. <laughs> um, and then you ask them too, of course, like how much money do you plan on putting behind these ads? 99% of the time, they are going to tell you, we don't know that right now. Sometimes mm-hmm. like in the rare occasion, they might tell you, but the reality is that it's, it's such short nor- notice, right? Like at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a marketing decision and they're like, you know what? Yes, we're going to, we're going to allocate for this piece of content, or we're going to allocate $5,000 to run this ad, right? Like you, you, you really don't Mm -hmm. know. And the brands can't tell you, um, ahead of time. So I, as a rule of thumb, I typically do one third of what your base fee is for 30 days. And that's again, just me. Wait, I don't understand. What does that mean? Yeah, no, but one third of your basic fee of so your, of your like, base of your base fee. So for example, let's say I'm working on an IG reel and I'm charging mm-hmm. $1,500 for that IG reel. I'm going to charge yeah. for usages for 30 days. I'm going to charge $500. That's one third of, of 1500, right? So I'm going to charge $500 mm-hmm. for 30 days. If you want to do 60 days and it's going to be a thousand and so on. If they want to use it for longer than six months, yes, I might cut them a deal. It might not be $500 every single yeah. month or, you know, mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but that's typically the rule of thumb. Now for some of my bigger talents too, they just have a base fee of a thousand dollars per 30 days. Some have a base fee of $1,500. Like I got, like, like I said, it's, it is the wild, wild west. Like no one knows what to charge, yeah. <laughs> but that is the, that is the rule of thumb. It's one third of what your, what your base fee is. And it's also per piece of content. Don't forget. So, okay. Yeah. If you want a TikTok video and if you want, I, I would say it's per, per platform. So if you want to, you know, if you want an IG reel and then you also want a TikTok video, but you want 30 days usage rights, paid usage rights, well, I'm going to charge you because it's two different platforms, right? It's, you're tapping into two right. different. 
So even though it's the same video, you'll charge the usage twice. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. I've learned something. (laughs) Now I'm better prepared. (laughs) Now you can be an influencer. And now I'm I'm officially an influencer. <laughs> and exclusivity, you know what? A, a big portion of the of the budget too comes from exclusivity as well. Because if a brand wants to work with you, let's say you're working with um, Maybelline, right? Like you're promoting their lipstick, you're a beauty creator, and they're like, okay, well, we want exclusivities for thirty days. You cannot work with any other lipstick brand. If you're a beauty creator, that's like that's your bread and butter. Like, of course, you're gonna. There's gonna be so many opportunities to promote a lipstick. Like that's kind of like the idea, right? So for mm-hmm. exclusivities, I typically charge the same price, sometimes more as the base fee. So yeah, you want to be exclusive. Let's say I charge $15. Double. For, yeah, I, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Double. Yeah. Sometimes double, sometimes it's just, you know, it's the same price, 1500 But uh, mm-hmm. because you have to take into consideration, right? Like if I cannot work for those 30 days, if I can't promote anything, I have no revenue coming in, then yeah. I got to be compensated for that. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Now you Fun. can be an influencer. <laughs> Everyone can now. Yeah. Honestly, though, like, it's, really, it's really cool to hear. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Hopefully you're <laughs> no, listening. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will be curious to hear like not only about like the, you know, behind the scenes of what you're doing for work, but also like you know, growing as an influencer and stuff, I feel like you have an extra different perspective because you're also helping other people build their brands as opposed to like just being an influencer. So you have that additional aspect of like that business mind, I guess, involved, which honestly I could just tell by the way that you're responding. Um, I'm like, she knows what she's talking about. (laughs) She's a business woman. Thank you. No, honestly, (laughs) that's, that's such a good compliment. I always, I tell my, I always tell my talents to like, you got to take that. You, like you as an influencer, that is a business, right? You got to treat it as a mm-hmm. business because there's a lot of creators out there that are kind of like dans la lune. Like they're just kind of living mm-hmm. in the moon and be like, woo, yeah, I love creating content. It's so much fun. I'm getting paid X amount of dollars, but they don't treat it like a business. And at the end of the day, like it is a business and the creators that thrive are the ones who are treating it like a business. They're the ones who are waking up creating a content calendar they know exactly what they're filming that week they're on top of their emails they're on top of like they're they're doing everything they're treating it really like a business right and that's the only way that you're gonna succeed that's the only way that you're you're really gonna thrive and I guess like move to the top and make a lot of money but you got to treat it like a business like it's not it's not for it's not fun people think that creating content you have to have discipline of course. You have to have so mm-hmm. much discipline. Like I, this weekend I, I shot two campaigns and it was for, it was a painting company and I had to paint this entire wall that you see here. This was all painted by me. And I have so much respect for people in the DIY space and in the interior decorating space, because at least the videos that I create, they're like not that deep. You know what I mean? Like it might yeah. be like a makeup <laughs> look or like, okay, I'm chopping up some vegetables and making people who are in this space where they're like showing DIY projects and like turning a house upside, like it's crazy. There's so much work that goes on Mm -hmm. behind the scenes to like see that 15 second video that you're seeing. So I have so much respect for people in this, in this industry because it's, it's hard. Yeah, for sure. I've always loved watching those almost kind of like a time lapse of like clips of them renovating their van or whatever. 
and it takes oh them months gosh. and yeah. to then go back I have to go through all of those clips and pick them and, and put edit. them together like oh my god like already for me I like set up my freaking tripod with a camera and I stand there for maybe two minutes and then that like I know how long that takes to edit you know the more you do it the faster you get but that's just like a single shot I'm not combining it with anything else there's no timeline I'm just chopping things up and putting it to sound you know <laughs> so like I get it it's time consuming. And that's, that's another thing people need to consider too. It's like the time involved in creating the content, right. It's like, obviously has affects the, the pricing and stuff for sure. Um, okay. Now you have obviously created this presence for yourself on social media. How the hell do they find you for bachelor in paradise? Did you, now the did fun you apply? Part. Did your friend apply? Yeah. Um, okay. So basically what happened is that one of my best girlfriends, she was actually the winner of bachelor Canada, like four years ago, five years ago, whenever we had, we had a bachelor in Canada, like, Oh yeah, that's true. I kind of forgot about it, but yeah, everyone forgot about it. You it's know okay. what? Isn't Kevin who was the was the bartender? Wasn't he on the Canadian season? Or I think he, he I US think season? he was I think he was on the Bachelorette Canada. And then he might I think I could also be wrong, Kevin, if you're listening to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> that I don't know the origins. I, I do. Okay, you know what I, I think I do. I think he was on like one of the Bachelor Bachelorette in Canada. And then they put Oh him on no, Paradise. you know what it was? I I know what it is. I figured what? it out. Because <laughs> he met Astrid in, in the like Mexico. He was in he no he was on Bachelor Bachelor Winter Games. Yeah. Do you remember Is that, that how they integrated him into the U.S.? That's how they integrated yeah, him. Yeah, I think that's what it okay. was. Yeah, like do you, do you remember mm. Bachelor Winter Games? It was so random. Yeah. Like they did one very season. Very bad. And, yeah, very <laughs> like awful. <laughs> Um, they had people that like did not even speak English. Like it was just very weird, but yeah, bachelor winter games. That's what it was. And then they integrated him into the, the U S franchise, but that, yeah, that's exactly how that went down. So anyways, long story short, cause I'm rambling, but my, my girlfriend, she won the bachelor so many years ago. And so she, you know, she was like tight with the producers. And when they announced that they were going to be casting and doing bachelor in paradise, they reached out to her and they're like, hey, do you have anyone that you could kind of like point us in the right direction? And she's like, I have the perfect girl for you. So she sent me the application. I actually had to apply. Like I didn't get any special treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the application is so tedious. They ask you like, it's like a questionnaire of probably 30 questions about the kind of lover that you are, you know, do you fall in love easily? Oh. Are you super emotional? Are you the, you know, are you a bad boy? Are you a bad girl? Have you ever cheated on anyone? Like they ask like really deep questions. Like what happened with you and mm-hmm. your ex? You know, do you still have problems? <laughs> do you have mental health problems from, from a, from an ex? Like very, I feel very like they deep like questions. That. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Like they're at the end of the day, yeah. they're, they're building a show, right? So they're looking for, yeah. They want people that are going to fall in love really quickly because that's just so entertaining to watch as a viewer, right? Like, mm-hmm. you don't you don't want to watch someone that's guarded and has, you know, it's kind of closed off, like Mattia from, from mm-hmm. my season. Yeah. You yeah. want to watch someone that's, like, super emotional and, like, wears their heart on their sleeves. I'm pretty sure that's what I said too, right? 
Um, and then, and then, yeah. And then from there on you, you do a couple of casting calls. Um, we did ours virtually, I think in the U S you go in person or it's pro- I don't know if it's still done virtually because of COVID. They fly you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. think with the U S they fly you, they all, they fly everybody into like a city and then it's usually in like a hotel or something yeah. and they interview everybody there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ours is, they have was, budget for that. Was, yeah. We I was going to say, <laughs> yeah exactly Canada the the Canadian version is slightly on the lower end (laughs) yeah it's like they couldn't even get you on a plane to like Cuba you know where it was filmed in what Ontario somewhere yeah it was filmed in (laughs) it was filmed in Georgian Bay Ontario I like I hate saying that Whatever. Oh. It was camp too. Like it's, they say Yeah. Like okay. Well, yes. No, season one was uh, like a season one and season two. It was really night and day, like really, really night and day. Was it? Yeah. What? How? Well, just the, the In whole In terms setup. of just like the, okay. I'm yeah. Curious. I, I, th- I think so too. Like if you're, if you're watching it as a viewer, you're looking at it and like, you're going to see that the production value increased significantly in season two, but Season one, like we were, we were sleeping in cabins, like literally log cabins. And we were on a, like a campground, like a summer campground. Season two, we were at an actual resort. Yes, it was still in Ontario. Okay. But like we were at, you know, we had hotel rooms at least, right? And the food too. Like You did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had hotel rooms. And then season one, again, it was like during the pandemic. So we had to follow so many different protocols. Um the food situation too was just really, really awful. I think everyone complained about the food situation during season one. And then season two, we were getting like Mm. breakfast buffets. We were getting like, it was just, the food was so good season two. Like all all I did season two was eat. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Maybe not the best thing being in a bikini all day, but (laughs) I'm sure you appreciated it. I know you love your food. (laughs) I do. I do love to, I do love to eat. So, okay. So they cat, or I guess you submitted the application, you answered all these questions. You did a few casting calls in, I guess, like remotely, right? Via Zoom or mm-hmm. something. And then what? Did they ever want you to come in person or was there ever an in-person thing or was it just like, okay, you're chosen. Let's, let's go. There wasn't ever an in-person meeting. It was all, and keep in mind, I did like four Zoom calls with the producers, right? It's so like, it wasn't just one call. Okay. It was multiple, multiple calls. Um, and again, what like, do they ask? They just, they, they want to get to know who you are, right? Like, so they start off really sweet. And at, at, at the beginning, it's very much like, okay, so tell us a little bit about you. Why yeah. do you want to be on the show? Tell us a little bit about your, you know, your, your dating experience. Have you ever been in love? Like just the very generic questions. Um, you know, at one point they, they asked me, they're like, okay, so if someone's talking to your man, like how do you react, right? Because mm-hmm. they want to see your personality come out too and they'll paint different scenarios. Like what would you do if, you know, this and this happened or so-and-so did this? Um, mm-hmm. But really, the, again, like the people that make it on these shows are either people who are just so willing to talk about their emotions and like lay it all on the table and like people who fall in love really easily or train wrecks who – are just wild and out, you know? <laughs> cough, Joey. <laughs> cough, Honestly, Joey. He, cough, Sam. Cough. He's 
they're so honestly they were they were entertaining though you got but that's you it right it to them. that's they're, yeah. they're very very entertaining yeah yeah super I'll give you I'll give you I think some, I, I'll give you some some information after after the podcast that I cannot say oh can tell we? you lie. <laughs> <laughs> guys don't tell anyone um no okay no that's that's really cool so you then got cast they selected you like what was that like they, they just like send you an email they told you on the last call and then what they book you a flight get you to George what is it Georgian Bay <laughs> Georgian Bay Ontario <laughs> Um, so yes, I mean, it's very similar to season one, season two, but, um, season two, they actually asked me to come back on the show. Got it. And I had told them like, I I don't want to do this again. Like it was the worst experience of my life season one, especially because I got sent home literally on day three. So I really didn't want to do it again. (laughs) But the process of that is basically, you know, you get an email being like, congratulations, you've been selected. And even then, even though you're selected, it doesn't even mean that like you're going to go on the show, by the way, like okay. at any at oh, any point because- in time, they could they could cancel your contract and say, hey, actually, we don't need you. Right. Because some people come in like near the end. Right. So I guess depending on how things are going and relationships are going, the producers know there's like, I guess a few people, they like flew in and they're just like chilling in a hotel waiting until like, okay, like you can go in today. Right. Is that how it works? Yeah. Like I know, um, I think there was a couple people season two that were supposed to go on and then didn't make it on. Okay. So Yeah. yeah probably because of that right is and yeah, yeah. i'm assuming they they select based on how they see things going down exactly and like like you have they to might you, feel- you have to keep in mind that the the producers they they have their own storyline right mm-hmm. now whether or not the storyline is playing out the way that they want it to if it is great then they're going to bring in someone new to sort of stir the pot but if the storyline that they that they were hoping for is not playing out as they wanted it to, then they're going to be like, okay, we're going to hold on this person because now, now there's just no storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So they yeah. follow that. So what does it look like in terms of like camera crew? How many people are around you at all times? Like, do you get any privacy whatsoever? <laughs> <laughs> so you're shooting for 12 hours a day. Um, and then, so like, obviously, you know, you have your, like, I think as soon as you're done shooting, which could be, there's no clocks by the way there. So you have no sense of time. Oh shit. Yeah. They hide all clocks. Well, aside from the sun. (laughs) Aside from the sun. But you know what I mean? Like you have no idea. Okay. Did we just wrap up filming? Is it 1am? Is it 12? Like I have no, you have no concept of time, which is really weird. Like really, really weird. weird to not be able to look at the clock and be like, oh, it's this time, you know? Yeah. Um, so once you're 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 finished rap, you're filming, uh, you go you go back to your room, whatever you hang out, and you go to bed, and then the next morning you gotta wake up and do it all over again. So you go you you have breakfast, and then you go get ready. It's always beach casual. They're gonna come knock on mm-hmm. your door to wake you up, and they're gonna say, "Oh yeah, it's beach casual, ladies. It's beach casual every single day, which just means wear a bikini and look cute." Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then you go and you you get mic'd. The whole mm-hmm. miking process probably takes about an hour to mic everyone, right? You're doing a lot of testing, test one, two, three, making sure that everything is good. And then you actually get on set and then you're filming all day. From that moment on, when you're filming, they there's cameras everywhere, right? You don't sometimes you don't see them, right? But if you're having a conversation, there might be three cameras on you so you might have a camera here you might have a camera right in front and you might have a camera here as well 
Mm-hmm. So if you if you don't like to be on camera, maybe don't do a reality yeah. TV show because it's really <laughs> they got all the angles. They get all the like it's very invasive. Like I remember, and also too, right? Like it's you're trying to have a deep conversation with someone, mm-hmm. but you know there's four cameras on you, so you're like trying to like look half like, decent. Yeah, <laughs> like you're like sucking in. Okay, like wait, is this my good side? Is it not my good side? You're thinking, oh my God, it's not my good side while you're trying to have a, a normal conversation <laughs> with this person in front of you. But yeah, there's 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 cameras everywhere. Um, and then you also have producers. Like, so everyone has their own um, their own story producer, basically. So you get assigned a producer and he basically is your ears. Like he has ears on everything you say, right? Like you are mic'd up, but sometimes they're not, ca- like you think they're not catching conversations that you're having like on the side because cameras aren't on you. They catch everything. Mm-hmm. So that when you go and do your one-on-one, yeah. So that when you go and do your one-on-ones, that they they bring up stuff that they heard while you're you saying your one-on-ones, filmed. like your, your interviews, right? Like when you go yeah. and do the interviews, that's what one-on-ones yeah. is? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I always wondered what that, what that was like. Cause like even the concept of a producer, like it's different when you're like on set of a photo shoot and like a video versus like a reality show like that. But to know that every single cast member has their own person yeah. basically assigned to them and listening to them all the time. That's so interesting. So like, that's the person that's then interviewing you. Yeah. And so they're asking you, yeah, exclusively. And they're, they're asking you questions like, okay, like, you know, earlier today you were talking to so-and-so and you mentioned this. And you're like, mm. oh, I did not think you were listening. To yeah. <laughs> they, listen to, they listen to everything, Sneaky. right? Because at the end of the day, like it's a story producer. So they're also building their own story of like potential sort of scenarios that could happen, right? That's like, that's how, do, how does of, that process work? But how do they do that? Like you're saying they build it. Like it's obviously not in their head. They like, do they, I guess they must have meetings amongst themselves afterwards and then converse for sure, and brainstorm. For sure. I would, like I it must be, be this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day too, like they're, they're building a show. Like a lot of people think reality TV is just so like unscripted. I mean, it is unscripted. Like I'm not, I don't get a script and I don't have to say lines. There's nothing I have to rehearse. But at the end of the day, like you're making a show. People are not, in, people are not interesting. Most people aren't interesting. Like, yeah, they have to tell a story of some sort. For yeah. 12 hours, I'm sorry. Like, no one wants to watch someone for 12 hours. We're just, we're not interesting. <laughs> Humans aren't interesting. Yeah. So you have to, you have to create certain, certain scenarios and certain, you know, and that that's where like, sometimes we'd have games where like, it'd be like truth or dare. You have to answer certain questions about things that happened that no one was listening to, but you know, your story producer heard you talk about this. So they're going to plug in, you know, that tidbit of information into that game so that when you, you know what I mean? There's a lot of like planting that's going on. Mm -hmm. Do you, did you ever feel manipulated? Um, no, I never, I never felt manipulated, uh, at any point in time myself. I definitely, there, you know, there was an instance where I felt like the producers really wanted me to make a decision and Mm -hmm. I wanted to make a different decision, but they were really like, no, like you, you should go with this. Like, you know, without saying you have to, you have to pick this. 
They were really like swaying. So they were kind of like trying to sway you in one direction. Yeah, exactly. Because it it seemed better for their storyline. Yeah, I think it just made it made sense for their storyline. And I also think that I didn't end up – I ended up making my own decision. And I feel like it it affected what happened afterwards. Okay, so like you were kind of – influenced a little bit by what they kept telling you right not that I was influenced because okay I don't even know why I'm like speaking did it like mix up (laughs) I don't know well that's that's the other thing I was going to get to it's like I don't know how much you're actually able to share in terms of I also don't I don't know I know the contract is really solid I haven't looked at it in in (laughs) in months um but I also too like violated my contract significantly like I was posting that I had a boyfriend you know, after I came Okay, off of I was show. gonna ask about that. Cause I know yeah, with yeah. the US, like they're super strict about that. But with you, I was like, oh well, she's posting she has a boyfriend. So obviously I know it doesn't work out with these guys. But also it's like you film a year before it airs, yeah. right? So the so show like, what are people expected to not like live and share their lives? Exactly. That's a crazy. So the, the show was it filmed in June. The show was supposed to air in November of last year. And oh, then they pushed it back. So they had some delays with the American Bachelor in Paradise. So mm. then finally, by the time Bachelor in Paradise US aired, it aired in November. So then they pushed ours back because we didn't want it competing against each other. Because obviously, like, yeah. people watch the US one, not yeah. that many people watch the Canadian one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to wait an entire year. And I thought to myself, like, that's that's a big ask, right? Because I, what I can't, you know, I went on a trip with my boyfriend to Mexico. Like I, what am I supposed to pretend that I'm, I'm there by myself, like alone? Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not allowed to talk yeah. about my boyfriend. So I took a big risk. And again, like if you are planning on doing a reality TV show, maybe don't do what I did because they do have really serious contracts. But at the end of the day too, yeah. I also, I looked at, you know, Francesca, Francesca, Queen Frankie. Um, from from too hot to handle. Yes, like the main character. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So she yeah. she did another show called The Perfect Match. While that yeah, show was that. airing, she was like posting about her her boyfriend, like mm. actively posting about her boyfriend. And I thought to myself, you know what? If Netflix is not coming after <laughs> Francesca, who was literally the lead of both of these shows, I don't think City TV is going to come after me. For posting yeah. my boyfriend, it would be City TV. It would be the network. It would be, I, I think. I don't even know. The not network, even sure. or would it be the franchise, like the Bachelor franchise? I mean, the Bachelor, the Canadian Bachelor franchise is also has very limited legs to stand on. So, yeah. <laughs> They're like, thank you for coming. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think. Fucked up, but, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? I think if, like, if I had been really, like, in trouble, I think they would have maybe messaged me and been like, Hey, we see that you're posting your boyfriend. Maybe don't do that. And then I, like, I would have never did, that, but they never did. Right. So. Okay. Okay, cool. So I just so lived my life. <laughs> Good. Anything else that you should tell, like you want to tell us like behind the scenes of bachelor in paradise? Like, I feel like that's, that was a fun experience. Would you ever do it again? I mean, let's say if you didn't have your boyfriend, would you do it yeah, again? Yeah. If I was single, you know what? I've, I've thought about it. I, I would do it again. I had, like I had such a good experience season two. Season mm-hmm. one, if if you had been asking me, if I had only done season one, you had asked me, would you do this again? I would have been like, no. And yeah. when they asked me to come back for season two, I told them, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like, I really yeah. don't want to do this. 
And then they asked me again and I said, I don't want to do this. And they offered me X amount of dollars. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And then all of a sudden I found myself, I, I quit my job. And so I was like, okay, I do have like one free month before like I start having to like look for a job, you know, like what else am I doing? Mm-hmm. And then I, I booked a call with the producers and I was like, okay, I'm actually thinking of doing the show. And then they offered me more money and I was like, okay, cool. Now like perfect. <laughs> perfect. Now I'm going to do the show. But, um, but I'm glad I did it. It was such a great experience season two. I had so much fun. I met so many amazing people that I'm still friends with. Yeah, um, but yeah, like cool. if you're, if you're considering doing a reality TV show, just like, it's not for everyone. It's really not mm-hmm. for everyone. And you're going to be put in so many uncomfortable situations too, because it really takes a specific personality to do these shows. Like you yeah. got to be really, really outgoing. Like the, and the people who are outgoing and the, the ones that are not, you know, afraid to, to stand out, those are the ones that are going to go far that are going to succeed. But mm-hmm. like, you can't, you can't be shy in these shows. So if you are a shy person and you're thinking of doing bachelor, whatever it is that you're thinking of doing, don't do it. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Um, so you mentioned that they like, they kept like raising their price for you. I I've heard that on the American show, it goes by like per day that you're there. Yeah. So I think there's maybe like a fixed rate and then like per day that yeah. you're there, you're there. Is it the same thing with the Canadian one? No. So the Canadian one is just one fixed rate for the entire time that you're there. So if you're there for three days, you're going to get paid, you know, it's a lump sum of money that you're going to get paid. It's not, mm-hmm. there's no advantage to being there longer. Right. And that's where I think the difference too, because in the American one, like there's a lot of strategy too behind shows like this that people don't Yeah, realize. People want to like, stay longer because they want to get paid exactly. more. So like, mm-hmm. I, and I hate to, I hate to be the one to say this, but people are so like, well, you know, they're not there for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, like no one's really there for the right reasons. Like, I'm sorry, if you you think going on a show, like you're if you think that you're only going on the show to find love, like that's probably the lie that you're telling yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what you're telling other people. And like that's, you know, that's the you might fall in love and that's that that would be a bonus, right? That would be a plus. Yeah. But the reality is yeah. that most of these people, like you're going there to either promote yourself, you're going there because you're getting paid, you're going there because you want the exposure, you're going there because it's fun, yeah. like, and then yes, and then you might find love, right? That's, that's the goal yeah. too, right? Like the goal is to yeah. find someone because that would be, but like you said, amazing. like you said, it's a bonus. And I think I, it's actually been kind of annoying because it does come up all the time in all of these shows. It's like, Oh, you're not really here for the right reasons. And like, you don't want to find love. And it's like, like I do, it would be nice. But like, if I didn't, I'd also be fine. Like I'm here for the opportunity. And one, um, I guess reality star that was very open about talking about that is Caitlin Bristow, mm-hmm. who was, on The Bachelor, then The Bachelorette, and then she was hosting some of the season. So she's been involved in the franchise for a while, but she was the first one to say like, listen, when I did this, I had no money. I had nothing to lose. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do this for the opportunity and then see what happens. And then, you know, she, she found love and she's gotten so many opportunities from this. She's built brands from it. Like she was smart. Like talk about businesswoman, like she figured it out and it's very easy to just, you know, leave the show and not do anything. And that's fine. But Honestly, I feel like if I if I were ever in that situation, like I'm married, it's kind of not in the cards for me. <laughs> but if I were in that situation, I would totally think like that too. You know, like well, I, anyone who says otherwise, I think they're just lying. You know? Yeah, I feel like that's that is the very that's a a very political answer, right? Like very diplomatic <laughs> answer. 
Like, yeah, no, I really want to find love. But you don't. You don't. You are going on a show, a TV yeah. show. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like in front of millions of people. In front of millions of people. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> not first of all, it's not natural to fall in love on a TV show. It really isn't. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, there's success stories. Like my friend Chelsea, she met Austin yeah. on the show. They're still together. And like that worked out for them. But for the mm-hmm. most probably the reality is it's not it's not a natural way to meet someone. It's not a natural way to fall in love either. Cause a lot of the conversations too that you're having for 12 hours all day. Mm-hmm. you know like you you eventually run out of things to talk about right and again like your selection yeah. of individuals is very limited mm-hmm. sure they're gonna bring on new characters but like at the end of the day if you're on this show and you don't vibe with anyone you have two options you know you can either self-eliminate go home be like you know what this isn't for me mm-hmm. or if you are on the show because you know you want to make money because you want to put your name out there whatever it is then you're going to do everything in your power to stay on the show, even if you haven't made a connection. But then you're going to fake it, right? You're going to play up this part like, yeah, I'm really in love. Or yeah, like I'm falling for you, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, like you're not. And that's that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I feel Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like every time you ask someone, they're like, no, of course I'm here for the right reasons. I just want to fall in love. And and leave here married and ex like okay that's that's far-fetched the whole married thing and engagement I can't believe they started doing that it's insane like listen some of them are actually still like together and stuff and actually getting married from bachelor in paradise but they stayed engaged for years after because they were like we recognize how insane we recognize that we have been engaged uh, after five days (laughs) yeah like it's insane mind you I think the 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 bachelor in paradise versus bachelor bachelorette actually makes more sense because you're spending all day yeah. with the same person. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. So Chelsea, she she was on the the Bachelor and mm-hmm. the stories that she would tell me too, I was like, this is insane. Like half the time you're not even spent you like you, you literally don't see the Bachelor. Like you'll get maybe yeah. like a like a two minute interaction with him during the whole day. And then that's it. Yeah. So I'm like, how, how how are you even supposed to like connect with this human being that you're here for? Like it, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. And then you wonder why all the relationships fail. But listen, that franchise is going a little stale and they're, they're getting a lot of pushback. So they well, got to make some the, changes. They are making changes. So they the, golden the, the golden bachelor bachelor. Mm, no. Yeah. Did you, are you, are you not wait, a fan? Wait, did you, did you watch, um, men tell all yesterday? No. Okay. I have not been, I, I know I'm a, I'm following a really the bad bachelor nation person, but yeah, I have not been following the season. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm following this season. I've had like trouble. Like the last few seasons, honestly, were not really the greatest, but it kind of just like gives me something to watch with my husband every now yeah. and again. I heard um, the season's good though. I do like her, Charity. Yeah. She's she's good. I do like her. Um, but so they did a little intro of the guy, Gary. And at first I wasn't sure, but then when they gave him his backstory and gave, did his little clip, it was actually really well done. Yeah. And I'm curious. I'm curious, but where I'm saying there's a lot of pushback is also in like the format. And like, we're saying, you know, it doesn't really make sense with how much, how limited the time is with the, with the people. And it's always the same thing with the rose. Like there's no twist. Like they've been doing the same thing for 20 years, yeah. you know? So maybe, so I think maybe we're going to see some, getting some twists. Maybe. They can't, they, we'll there's see. no way that they can keep the same exact formatting for people who he's what, 70 he's 70 or he's 71. 70 something yeah he's a lot yeah. older than you know the stereotypical like people who are on bachelor are like 26 20 sometimes mm-hmm. 23 like 
you know what I mean? It's a, it's a very big contrast. So I yeah. feel like I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, I can't don't imagine you that think it's going to be the same. But don't you think then it's like almost too much of a change? Like already the the change in my eyes is like they have an older demographic. And just in that, I think it's going to be entertaining because like you see the way that yeah. he responds like in the audience and like like he – you could you could see the age. It's funny. Um, so there's entertainment in that for sure. 70. But then yeah. But then there's also the element of like how much changes too much at once. Like they're not gonna completely reformat the show when they're already introducing this one new element. So it's like, I wonder if just like A-B testing, you know, it's like, what are they going to test this first and then maybe introduce something else after or maybe yeah. introduce like the format element to one of the main um, shows? I don't know. That's just like but, the, but the business person I- in me. Thinking. No, and I, I get that. I love that you're thinking like that. That That's part of the reason that why I'm so excited to watch this show. And I think like already yeah. that in itself, like the questions that you're asking, that you're wondering, mm-hmm. I, I want to believe that everyone is also wondering this as well. So I feel like already there, they're going to have so There's much enough. viewership because mm-hmm. people are just going to be genuinely curious. Like, what are they going to do? Yeah. You know, how are, yeah. what is the casting process? Like the biggest question that I want to know is, is there a cutoff for like casting women of a certain age? Because what if, what if I'm 25 and I'm into silver foxes? No, for sure. There's you, a you know, <laughs> like, absolutely no. I'm like, there's. But you no never way. know. Maybe. What if? What if Gary likes younger girls? I don't think women? that the franchise would allow it. Personally, I don't think that the franchise, I think there's for sure going to be a a range. A lot of backlash. Yeah, there's for sure going to be a range. And I would probably say maybe like 50 is like the cutoff. If I were to think if he's 70, like 20 years at that age isn't the biggest thing. But we'll see. We'll find out. Lots of questions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm so, so, so excited. But yeah, you know what? It's, you're right. I, I, I did hear about his story and about his sweetheart and how she died. I know. And, no, it was, it's and how he got emotional and stuff too. I was like, okay, you know what? He he's, has potential. He's, he's good looking too. Like he's a, he's, he's okay. a catch. You think he's, he's okay. okay? I think okay. he's okay. But do you think he, do you think he's okay <laughs> because you're significantly younger than him? Like imagine mm. you're 70. You as a seven year old, he's would not you okay. Into, he's- would you be into Gary? Because me as a me as a 50, me as a twenty eight year old, I'm into Gary. Listen, I I could appreciate an older man even at this age. I don't think the fact that I'm thirty makes a difference, but I. I feel like I, I have a, a type if he were older and I don't know that he is it, but he's also not like ugly. You know what I mean? So he's, if you, if you're like, let's say, let's say Gary is really hot. (laughs) Don't listen to him. No, but like, if, I don't know, he's, what I would say is if he, if I were to fall in love with someone's like personality, then like I would probably think he was more attractive than he is. But like just yeah. looking at his looks, I feel like so. Maybe ask me when the season's over, I might be like, Zaddy, <laughs> <laughs> you might jump ship. Okay, got I might it. Jump ship. Okay, we'll we'll regroup in uh, a couple. We're gonna, of months yeah, I was gonna airing. say we're gonna. I feel like we're gonna have to have another like a part two to this just to talk about. Yeah, we'll follow up. For anyone who just wants to listen to reality TV shit, um, everyone else can jump jump ship and uh, oh forget about it. <laughs> you know, I, th- okay. I think there has to be a podcast that, that's covering this show. 
Like there has to be. Oh, there are tons. There are tons. Like all those bachelor. Like Alyssa, uh, this is they, a business opportunity for you. <laughs> Listen, I don't know that my listeners care so much about it, but we'll find out. I'll give you the we, stats yeah, after this we'll, airs. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Imagine it's like 5,000 views. I'm like, oh, Yeah, shit, imagine girl. this video blows up. Like, imagine the type of influence that I have. I'm dead. I'm dead. Maybe we'll start our own podcast. Yeah, exactly. I'm telling you, there's a, lot a of, shit ton of there's money. a lot of business potential here. <laughs> Okay. Well, we'll regroup, like I said, but yeah, honestly, I had that. so much fun. I had so much fun talking to you. It felt like you've been a friend of mine this whole time. Um, the way I wrap up my podcast is with what I call mindful minute. So if you had one thing to leave anyone listening based on your experience in life, what would it be a piece of advice? A piece of advice. Um, again, I'm going to be super, super cliche, but and I, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but, you know, whatever it is that you want to do in life, whether it's it's painting, whether it's, I don't know, like playing music on the side of the street, fucking go for it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't let, I was about to quote. Say it. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> okay. D- did you ever watch the Cinderella story? Yeah. With Hillary Duff. Don't let the fear of striking out keep you from keep playing, you from the, playing game. the game. Yeah. Like literally. Obsessed. <laughs> I know. I just, I literally just rewatched it the other day with my girlfriends. But it's so true. It's like even in the world of influencer marketing, like I meet so many creators as well who they're just, they're so scared to put themselves out there. And I'm like, but why, why are you so scared? Like you, you got to analyze what could go wrong and, you know, what probably won't go wrong. And, like, then you you you, you mm-hmm. realize that what could go wrong is probably never going to happen. There's a very slim chance of it actually playing out the way that you're thinking it's going to play out in your head. So just go for it because you never know what the what the possibilities are and you, you never know what opportunities are going to come your way. But, like, you got to just – you got to put yourself out there. So – you know, in the world of influencer yeah. marketing, maybe, you know, you're working, you want to be a talent agent, like maybe you want to go on reality television and you're scared that, okay, I don't know, like how my family's going to feel about this or my friends are going to make fun of me, whatever it is, fuck them. Like literally fuck everyone else. You're here for yourself. <laughs> you're your here life. to make money, live your own life and like get to it. Like just go after it. I That's love it. it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I would preach the same thing, like chase those dreams no matter how crazy they sound. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where can thank people you find me. you? Yeah, no, I love this so much. Like, my, I feel like we're going to hang up and keep just, talking. <laughs> my selfie light just went out. I'm like, wow, lighting oh, makes such a big difference. Um, yeah, you can for find sure. me. You can find me on Instagram <laughs> at Anna Cruz. You can also find me on TikTok at Champagne Cruzy. That's it. <laughs> I was going to say champagnecruzy.com. <laughs> and that's it. That's do you have it. a website? I do not have a website. Okay, I, amazing. I to, oh my God. I used to I'll have link a, it all. a website. Perfect. I'll link it all in the show notes. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Until next time. Bye.
Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you're feeling generous, a review would be much appreciated. This podcast is brought to you by Nomad Creative. Visit nomadcreative.com for all of your marketing, branding, and social media needs.